Welcome to Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. What does it take to lead yourself and your teams to high performance with ease? Today, you'll discover simple practices that separate exceptional leaders from the rest. Now, here is your host, Nicole Bendeley. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to this episode of Leading on Purpose. I'm Nicole Bendeley, and I want to start with a bit of an admission. Um, I have to admit that I invited today's guest, Dr. Greg Wells, to join me today for selfish reasons, because I need his help, <laughs> as I'm sure many of us do right now. And I have to say that I recently um, devoured Greg's book, uh, Rest, Refocus, and Recharge. And I knew immediately that I needed to learn directly from Greg because, like I'm sure so many people, especially right now, there are more days when I feel tired than I feel energized, right? I feel distracted more often than I feel present. I feel stressed more often than I feel relaxed. And I know that there is far more potential, far more to life than the way I'm going about my day-to-day right now. And I'm sure many, many people can relate to that, and I'm, and I'm not alone. And so Dr. Greg Wells is here to help us discover you know, why, first of all, rest and uh, focus and, and recharging is so critical, and hopefully to share some of his insights and some tips that we can all use to really um, optimize um, our lives and tap into the very best of ourselves. So let me tell you a little bit of, of Dr. Greg Wells. He has a very impressive background. And for Greg, health and performance, particular particularly under extreme conditions, are personal and professional obsessions, which I love. As a scientist and physiologist, he's dedicated his career to making the science of human limits understandable and actionable. Dr. Wells has spoken to audiences all over the world at events such as TEDx, and he has shared the stage at events with Richard Branson, Steve Wozniak, and Deepak Chopra all of whom are people that I love to learn from as well. And for over 25 years, Greg has worked with some of the highest performing individuals on the planet, including Olympic and world champions and with organizations ranging from General Electric to BMO, Deloitte, KPMG, Audi, we can go on. He is also committed to inspiring children and young adults through his close working relationship with school boards and independent schools. And actually, Greg, we have that in common because your work is at one of the schools that I graduated from and was past chair of. So I want to give a shout out to Lakefield College School while I'm at it. Um, And Greg is a veteran endurance athlete. He's participated in the grueling, and I'm going to get this wrong, Nanisovic Nanisivik, where we go, Marathon, 600 miles north of the Arctic Circle, Ironman Canada, and the Tour d'Afrique, an 11,000-kilometer holy cycling race that is the longest in the world. He has also traveled. He's a travel and expedition adventurer who has journeyed through every imaginable terrain and conditions in over 50 countries around the world. Okay. Wow. (laughs) And so that tells me that makes me even more curious to understand because it goes on and you also have three best-selling books, which we're going to talk about. 
Okay. And you're, uh, have a PhD in physiology and so much more. And so that makes me even more curious, Greg, as to how you do all this <laughs> and still have the energy and focus, right. To, to, uh, live such a, a wonderful life. So welcome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I love, you know, um, what you guys are doing at Waterstone. So I'm like, just psyched to be a part of this chat and, uh, I really appreciate your thoughts about, you know, that bio. And although it sounds impressive, it's like a lot, that's like 40 years worth of content, right? Absolutely. So it's, when you compress it into three minutes, it sounds pretty impressive. But the reality is like, I, I'm tired too. Sometimes I'm stressed yeah. too. Um, it's not, you know, all roses by any stretch of the imagination, but it's been a fun run and I've had a good time and I've done some really cool things with some really amazing people and it's been a blast. So yeah, can't wait to talk to you about it. Well, fun and passion, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, at least in my experience, is has to be there, right? It has to be a part of what you do. It does. And I mean, we're, I'm very fortunate that I'm able to lean into the stuff that I think is fun and actually right. make that my, my passion. Uh, you know, passion, I think, is it's not so much that you discover your passion and then you spend lots of time doing that. I think that it's cultivated. I think that it's crafted. I think it develops over time. You know, even 10 years ago, uh, you know, I was struggling. I was not struggling, but I was working as a physiologist with the Olympic team and I was liking the work, but it was, it was, a, it was a slog. And I've been doing it for a long time at that point and still traveling around the world and, you know, going to training camps and going to competitions, which was incredible. And it was fantastic. Uh, but it had been, you know, 15, 16 years at that point. So I was looking for something new. And then the opportunity to commentate in Olympics came along uh, with CTV in 2010. Um, I did that. Never imagined I would have been doing, you know, television, but that was pretty much all that I did for two or three years through two Olympic games and lots of stuff in between. That led to writing books. Um, that led to doing public speaking. That led to more consulting opportunities. That, that led to a position at the University of Toronto. That led to uh, an expansion of my role at SickKids. Like, but if you had taken me back 10 years from now, 10 years ago and said, yeah, you're going to be a four-time bestselling author. Um, you know, you're going to be uh, an Olympic commentator. You're going to be primarily a public speaker. I would have literally laughed at you and said, like, I, I barely got through English in university yeah. once. Well, you know, and you're going to say, I'm going to actually write a, a book. Like, relief. Okay, good. Ever. So, um, <laughs> yeah, and I heard a really great quote this week, and I think it's one that might actually summarize everything I just said, which is that, now, I think we sometimes overestimate what we can accomplish in a year, but we underestimate what we can accomplish in a decade. Mm. And so I think that, you know, we, we get caught up so much in the day-to-day of, of our you know, immediate goals, we lose sight of the bigger picture of what is happening in our lives. So I think when we take a step back and we think about the bigger picture, it actually puts a lot of things into context. And um, I think I that's what that. we've been doing for the first little bit of this chat. And it's been nice to sort of think about it that way. So yeah. it's cool. Well, I'm curious. I mean, you, you've experienced, like you said, a lot of amazing opportunities and, and what out of all of that, and I'm sure there's even more family, personal, all of those great experiences. What are you most proud of as you look back? Um, that's a really interesting thing. You know, one of my, one of my tasks that I've actually got to do in my journal as we sort of finish up yeah. 2021, one of the things I want to do is actually do like a, a bit of a three to f- three, five year, you know, retrospective, but also then sort of move out and, and look back from three to five years in the future. And that's sort of what we, one of the exercises that we do, but what I'm, I'm probably really proud of, I think I was a really good swimmer when I was growing up. I think that was pretty cool. Uh, I was on some really good teams. Most of my 
friends were a lot better than I was, but I still got you know a chance to do some really cool things as an athlete. Uh, the Tour d'Afrique bike race was pretty incredible. That was mm-hmm. definitely something that was, you know, that we we rode our bikes through Africa from Cairo to Cape Town. Uh, and that's, you know, set a Guinness Book of World Records for the fastest human-powered crossing of Africa. Eight people on the expedition got into the Guinness Book of World Records. I did not. I got hit by a cow in Malawi <laughs> and got some pretty severe gastrointestinal problems in Ethiopia. But um, yeah, so anyway... Um, so that was a big, that was a very big accomplishment. I think commentating an Olymp- a home Olympics was probably the coolest thing I might ever do in my mm-hmm. entire career. That was just, you know, mind bogglingly, incredibly cool and insanely difficult at the same time. Like that was, um, that was pretty high pressure. Obviously like earning a PhD was, was pretty cool and uh, very, 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 very hard, especially when I had, you know, a number of people tell me to quit along the way because, right. uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not an, I'm not like, I wouldn't consider myself the most brilliant person that's ever gone through the PhD program at U of T, <laughs> but I work hard. So I got through it, but uh, you know, in, in all of that, that stuff's all fine. But what I think I'm probably most proud of honestly is how so far, uh, my kids are turning mm-hmm. out to be just super cool, interesting, fun, happy confident, proud little people. And, right. uh, you know, Ingrid's 10 now and Adam's six. And so their personalities are really coming out and we they're have good similar kids. age kids. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just cool. Right. It's, it's cool. I don't think I've totally screwed them up yet. That's so, the thing that keeps me up at night. Right? How am I going to screw up? <laughs> yeah. Just like, just don't say or do <laughs> anything and this might turn out. Okay. Right. Um, you know, and, and despite a whole bunch of crazy stuff that's happened over the last 10 years, uh, 14 years now, actually, you know, Judith, my wife and I still love each other. We're still like having fun and still enjoying life. Okay. So um, at the end of the day, the work stuff is really cool, super fun. I'm honored and proud and privileged and I've had a great time, but the family stuff and and the kids is what really matters at the end of the day and yeah. friends as well, right? Like your family of choice. So yeah, there's lots of, there's, it's been fun. And, and I don't think I could put my finger on any one thing, but, you know, in aggregate, I think it's been a pretty cool ride. I love that. I love that. And so I want to tap into the the athlete in you and the athletes that you work with, right. And that you've studied. Um, What do all top peak performing athletes have in common? What's one thing they all have in common that really makes the biggest difference? Or is that too simple of a question, like simplifying no, it too much? it's not. And actually, it's a really interesting thing because I've been thinking about that a lot recently. And I'll, I'll take you back to a specific dinner that I went to. Uh, and this was quite a while. It was probably right before the, I think it might've been 2011. So it was after the 2010 uh, Olympics leading into the 2012 Summer Olympics. And I was out for dinner with about 10 of the national sailing team athletes and they were all ranked, you know, top 50 in the world, jostling for a spot on the Olympic team. And several of them had medal aspirations for the next Olympics. I had, this was my first introduction to them. I didn't, you know, know a lot of them at that point, but I sat down around the dinner table with them and I landed beside this one gentleman and we started talking and um, within seconds, he was asking me questions and like a lot and digging Mm -hmm. and be like, well, what about this? And what about that? And I was like, this kid's going to be, this kid's good, right? This turns out he was fifth in the world and seeking to get onto, onto the podium. Whereas the other athletes around the table, top, you know, 25 in the world, top 50 in the world, weren't asking nearly the same number of questions. Uh, And I had a chance to work with a baseball player, a major league baseball player uh, a couple of years ago. And again, just 
questions and questions and questions. And then I had a chance to talk to a top PGA tour player, uh, you know, this year, Tommy Fleetwood, who was on the podcast and just, you know, my, my podcast questions and questions and questions. So the interesting thing about the top, top, top people in the world is that I think when you're sort of 10th through till, you know, top 20, you think, you know, everything. And then right. you know, when you get to top 20, you're like, eh, I don't know if I know everything anymore. And then you start seeking and start, you know, ex, ex, uh, voraciously learning. Mm-hmm. And if there was one thing that I would say that I've seen between the top business people in the world, you know, that, that having had conversations with Richard Branson and Steve Wozniak and other, these incredible, fantastic, wonderful people and the top athletes in the world. And I've spent, you know, around hundreds of the top athletes in the world. Um, you know, three Olympic games. And anyway, just lots of people. The, the pattern is the higher you go in the world, the more curious you become. Mm-hmm. And the less you think, the less you know that you know, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I came across a, a stat and I can't remember it, the numbers exactly, but it was something about the number of books, like how much reading and learning top performers or top leaders um, do in a year. And I thought to myself, man, <laughs> Yeah, have, so it's I 50 have, books a year for the average okay, CEO right for now. For the average CEO. In, in, you know, in top countries around the world. So that's about a book a week, if you think right. about it, for someone that's running a massive company. Now, that can be consumed in any one of a number of ways. That can be consumed in a podcast. That can be consumed in an audio book. That can be skimming through. You know, I don't know if you have to read every single word, but you can consume content at that rate. That level of learning is sort of a minimum requirement, if you think mm-hmm. about it. And one of the, actually, one, one of the things I missed the most uh, during this pandemic time, now that I'm not driving anywhere anymore, right. is that I used to drive in Toronto, Canada, which is, you know, traffic Where central. I am. Yep. Um, and you're stuck in a car all the time, which meant I was consuming massive amounts of content on podcasts. And uh, I miss that because I'm not not learning as much as, as I was before. So that's one of the things I'm going to get back into again in 2021 to, to spark that up. But yeah, learn, learn, learn. We just, we cannot learn enough. And uh, especially now that the pace of change is accelerating, uh, the, the rate at which humanity is creating information is accelerating. Uh, I think it becomes more incumbent upon us to be curious at all times about everything that we can be in order to ensure that we're we're constantly checking ourselves to make sure that we're not in an echo chamber. You know, one mm-hmm. of the things I did during the U.S. Mm-hmm. election recently, which um, was painful for me, was I would yeah. uh, look at both the New York Times and Fox News to force myself to get both sides of the equation. That's what my husband does. He puts Fox News on it and I lose, uh, I, I don't want to lose listeners, but I have to say like, it's just so different and so yeah. foreign to what I'm used to that I would get upset with him. And he's saying, but you have to get out of your eco chamber and yep. understand. And so when I can think about it from that perspective of curiosity, as opposed to allowing my own personal values and, you know, beliefs to get in the way screaming at me in the TV, then I can yeah. take it in better, but you're right. Yeah. So that's, you know, learn, 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 double check your thinking, make sure that you're not being caught up and, you know, listening to your own narrative too much. And just, you know, the relentless learning is that what I've seen from the top people in the world be that business, academics, sports, drama, music, the, the higher you go in the world rankings, the more that you want to be learning all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, I know we're going to take a, a break in a minute, but if you could boil down sort of peak performance and, and I know learning is obviously one of the, um, is the, 
one of the biggest differentiators. But if you could boil down peak performance to achieving peak performance, right, or optimizing your life into a recipe for an everyday person, what would be those key ingredients without going, we'll go into them after break, but what would those sort of basic key ingredients that you have to have, like butter and flour or whatever, right? And eggs, right? Yeah. Um, so and again, I'm sensitive to time and making sure that I cover yeah. this in the break, but there's sort of the, the core idea, first of all, is that you've got to be healthy in order to be able to perform at your highest level. If you're not healthy, you can't perform. And so what we have to establish a basis of health before we can jump into reaching our full potential as human beings. And in the Ripple Effect book, I, I laid out my structure that I believe we need to follow as humans in order to be able to reach our potential from the perspective of just simply getting healthy. And that is to be able to sleep soundly. That's the first thing. We've got to sort out our sleep so we're not tired during the course day. Give yourself permission to sleep. Second thing is we want to eat smarter. We want to be you know, very deliberate about how we are consuming our food so it gives us energy but improves our health at the same time we want to be moving more physical activity leads to better mental health physical health emotional health and then finally we want to be able to um, be very intentional about our mindset and to think clearly and to focus and eliminate distractions so we can direct our attention towards what matters to us the most and if we do those four things sleep eat move think that lays the foundation for mental and physical health which then sets the stage for high performance. And perhaps we can jump into what that's all about after the break. Absolutely. Sleep, eat, move, think. That's going to go on the front of my wall after this podcast. And I have to do more, well, less of the eating, just changing my eating maybe, but I have to do all of them. So we'll be right back. Stay tuned uh, for more with Dr. Greg Wells. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Leading a team today can be hard, but it doesn't have to be a struggle. With Kenco's self-paced e-course, leading high-performance teams, you'll gain everything you need to build the cohesion, communication, and engagement needed for your team to thrive. Right now, save 30% off the e-course. Plus, Nicole, host of Leading on Purpose, is including two coaching sessions with her at no extra charge. Use promo code VA30 when you visit kand.co slash ecourse. That's promo code VA30. Would you like a complimentary strategy session with Leading on Purpose host Nicole Bendeley? Nicole and her team have been making it possible for leaders to achieve exceptional results with ease for over 40 years. Nicole will help you to discover what's getting in your team's way from even better results and will share with you the simple practices that will make a big difference to your performance and theirs. Visit kand.co slash strategy and book your session with Nicole today. That's kand.co slash strategy. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Find out more about Nicole and her company, K&Co, and check out her suite of leadership tools and resources at kand.co. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. All right. Welcome back, everyone. 
Hey, I really want to encourage you all to um, check out Greg's book. I, I really recommend it. Um, and I'm actually going to um, have my husband read it next. Um, <laughs> and it's Rest, Refocus, Recharge, A Guide for Optimizing Your Life. It is very powerful and uh, full of great research, not only research, but um, key steps and techniques. It's very practical that you can apply to your everyday. So please, please um, check that out. Now, I want to get back to, Greg, what you were talking about, sleep, eat, move, think. And I, I, I want to share that there was a quote at the very first, cha- first chapter of your book that stopped me cold, really gave me pause because I related so much to it. And it's a quote by uh, the founder, the co-founder of Reddit. Um, oh, Alexis Ohanian. Mm-hmm. Ohanian. Ohanian. Um, and it says, this idea that unless you are suffering, grinding, working every hour of every day, you're not working hard enough. This is the one of the most toxic, dangerous things in tech right now. It has deleterious effects, not just on your business, but on your well-being. That I related to so much because I feel we've created or we're in a society of the harder you work, the busier you are, that equates, you know, success or achievement, right? And, and it's, it's just not true. So yeah, share a little bit about that. Well, I think one of the things that we've learned in sports that's now being adopted in business quite a bit is the idea that, you know, in the seven, in the eighties and nineties, when I was an athlete growing up it was really just all about who could do the most work, who could do the mm-hmm. most volume, who could train the hardest. And as a result, you know, whoever could sustain that level of training and not get injured were the people that made the Olympic team. And we didn't set world records that often, maybe once a year, if you were lucky. And, you know, there was really two major peaking events every four, every four years. It was every, you know, every, every second year, there's a world championships and every four years there's an Olympics. Whereas now there's a world cup circuit, 10 events. There's uh, you know, there's leagues like um, X games circuits there where athletes are continuously performing. Then they'll go and, you know, drop into an Olympic games, go another world record and then come back out. And con- so we're performing at a high level far more often than we used to. And careers are much longer now as well. Mm-hmm. Careers are not, you know, you're not over at 21, you're over at 30, 35, maybe even 40 in certain cases. Um, Dara Torres being a good example, right? Five Olympic games, meddling at 42 years old in, in 50 freestyle, I think as a swimmer. So as careers are longer. We're performing at a higher level more often. And I actually believe that not only that, but we're also healthier as well. I think there's fewer injuries and that the injuries are being managed much better. And the fundamental difference is that we have shifted from a high volume approach to training to a high quality approach to training Mm -hmm. where recovery and regeneration are valued just as much as the actual training itself. Massage therapy is in play, healthy nutrition's in play, Um, antioxidant nutrition's in play, anti-inflammatory nutrition's at play, meditation plays a role now to keep our minds sharp. We're not just training hard, but we're also recovering hard as well, using yoga and flexibility training and mobility work and skill development and technique instead of just endurance. So we've evolved in terms of the way in which we're developing athletes. I think that mindset is now beginning to make its way through into business where 
it's no longer acceptable just to put in 10, 12, 14, 16 hours a day, although mm-hmm. there's a time and place for doing that. We have to consider that we need to be recovering and regenerating because if you slow down your neurophysiology of the brain, if you slow down the brain waves and the electrical activity inside the brain by shifting from hustle, 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 go, go, go into a more relaxed state, that opens up reflection, that opens up strategic thinking that opens up metacognition where you can examine your own thinking to look for gaps or perhaps errors. And um, if you relax even further in the brain, then you're able to access um, innovation, agile thinking, problem solving. Mm -hmm. And so by doing things a little bit differently, by prioritizing recovery and regeneration, by slowing down deliberately, we're actually able to speed up. We're Able to, able to make better decisions, we're able to think more strategically, we're able to plan, and we're able to make, I think, adjustments and course corrections that we otherwise may not no- normally be able to make if we were just head buried in yet another spreadsheet. So I think that it's a new approach, and it goes beyond just the actual work itself. It goes beyond to the fact where we're now seeing elite business leaders focus on nutrition during the course of the day. Um, A a a significant pattern that I've seen around the world where meditation practices are being adopted by business leaders by where uh, a shift where it's no longer acceptable to go and get wasted, you know, and as part of a business meeting and then show up at the office the next morning and pretend like you're actually able to function. Uh, We're more likely to see people go for a long bike ride instead of a golf game, for example. Right. So, there's a huge shift that's going on towards health and high performance being the way in which people operate in order to function at the highest level most consistently. And that's been sports business and many other areas as well. Yeah. And and so from a, a business perspective or, you know, an everyday want to get the best out of my life, regardless of whether I'm an athlete perspective, the rest and, and recovery. So what are some things we can do to, if that's an area we really need to strengthen out of, you know, all of them, we'll start there when we'll get to the others. What are some practices? What are some things that people can do, start to do a little bit differently or be more intentional about? I think the first thing is to really give yourself a break. So we know that when it comes to stress, the way that stress works is that we perceive things from the environment. That information goes into your eyeballs, in through your ears, and it hits the nerves and gets funneled into your brain. And your brain processes all that information that's coming from outside of us. And whether that's a podcast interview, like what we're doing right now, or a news headline, um, or a COVID-19 update, or your business financial quarterly report that's coming in, all of that information goes into your brain and we analyze it in a structure called the amygdala. And the amygdala determines whether or not that information is a threat and whether or not Mm -hmm. we should be anxious, upset. And if it determines that it is threatening, and that's a very individual, unique response. That's why two people will see the exact same thing and respond completely differently. Our amygdala will then trigger the hypothalamus and the sympathetic nervous system, which shoots information down through the spinal cord, electricity funnels out into all of our organs to get us ready to run or fight. And so your muscles get stronger, your liver dumps sugar into your system, your heart starts pounding inside of your chest, and we get ready to, to you know, fight it and, and, and run. And so the game for all of us is to interrupt that system because that mm-hmm. was a 
physiological response that was designed to keep you alive if you were confronted by a saber-toothed tiger. And it worked really well for that. It doesn't work so well if you have an exam in front of you. You can't get up and run out of the exam hall. It doesn't work so well if you're on a client call and they, they ask you a question that you don't have the answer to. You can't run away from right. the Zoom call, although you can say like Wi-Fi problems can't yeah. hear you, right? But uh, it's not going to uh, go well exactly. if you run or fight. We need to respond, not react. And so in order for us to be able to respond, not react, in order for us to stay calm, cool, and collected and to pivot from tension to energy, the key is to take breaks. And so that's the number one thing I can tell everybody is during the course of the day, can you go for a walk? Can mm-hmm. you listen to a piece of music? Can you stretch for five seconds? Can you take a deep breath? Can you do some meditation? Can you create a transition ritual to give yourself a break between your work day and your home life, even though those, even though those two things are now basically one and the same because we're all working right. from home during COVID-19? And so that, that is the first and fundamental idea that I have for everybody is to give yourself permission to take a break. And the physiology analogy is just like, imagine that you were doing weights and you go into the weight room and you lift a lot of weights, you get sore, you break down all of your muscles and you wake up the next morning, you're like, you are sore. That is a stimulus for the body to get stronger if you sleep, if you eat good food, if you do something different the next day and give your muscles a chance to recover. Then you go back to the gym 48 hours later and lo and behold, you feel better and you're stronger. If you were to go back into the gym right away, you'd get injured. And that's what we all do all the time at work. We jump right back into it right away, thinking that more is better when in fact, better is better. So that's the, that's the overall strategy. And what, it, what you choose to do on those breaks doesn't really matter, to be completely honest. We're just looking to break up the constant unrelenting stress and to recover and regenerate in whatever way is best for you. I, I love that. I've been recommending, suggesting to the leaders that I work with to, instead of an hour meeting, a 55-minute meeting or 50 meeting, right? Because you're just sitting in front of Zoom or going from one minute to meeting to the next. Give your people that break to go for a walk, listen to music, practice a mindfulness, you know, exercise, whatever it may be, um, to, to, to shift, right. And to, to be present and to, to relax a bit now. So on that note, just to jump in, I set my Google calendar up to end all meetings at, at 50 minutes. Oh, good. I always have a 10 minute break. So I've all, I've set that automatically up in the system and another company called Zappos that many people may have heard of Mm -hmm. would before lockdown, um, set meeting durations at multiples of seven minutes. So the shortest bookable time was actually seven minutes. Seven minutes. And in their conference rooms, they would not put any chairs. So you can't wow. actually sit down. You I walk in, that. you speak and you get out. So um, anything that you can possibly do to shorten the duration of your meetings. And the other thing around video calls versus audio calls, and this is something I learned from Uh, the Humphrey Group team and Bart Egnall, the CEO there, is that if you want to be on video, that's great. This is obviously you and I are on video right now. It's excellent because we can see each other and react to how we're we're functioning. It's perfect. But if you don't need to be on video, video is more stressful than audio. So just do a phone call. And if you don't need to be on a phone call, flip someone a quick email. And if you don't need to be on email, flip someone a quick note on Slack if it's internal, right? So we need to take advantage of all the different modes of communication, but mm-hmm. tailor the mode of communication to the information that needs to get sent to make it as quick, as efficient, and as least stressful as possible. And that way we can survive this era of endless death by Zoom meetings that we're all in at the moment. 
It's exhausting. That's great advice. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Before we move on to the other pieces of the recipe, I want to touch on sleep for a minute because in rest, refocus and recharge, you talk about, which I am going to put into practice over the holidays and so that I can really solidify it into the new year, especially with my kids, um, is defend the last hour, your last hour, defend it. Can you tell us about that? So, it's really interesting that sleep is the number one concern for everybody right now. I mean, in addition to mental health and anxiety and depression, I, I think that it plays into all of that because when we don't sleep well, we're not physically healthy. We're not mentally healthy, but you know, when I do um, any sort of session whatsoever, and I talk about sleep, it, there are loads of questions. Nobody's sleeping. It's just hard right now with everything that's going on to even think about getting a good night's sleep, but we really need to work on it. And one of the easiest, fastest, most powerful ways I think that we can do that is by doing something that you just mentioned, defend your last hour, create a barrier between your day and when you want to be falling asleep. You can't suddenly go from firing off emails and then you know close your computer lid and then walk over to your bed, lie down and think that you're going to fa- magically fall asleep when you're going from a thousand miles an hour to zero. So we need to calm ourselves physically and mentally. And so giving yourself that permission to take the time to downshift, to enable you to get a great night's sleep so you wake up the next day, you're clear, sharp, focused, totally recovered and regenerated, I think can make a massive difference for people. And that last hour can be broken up into three times 20 minutes. And you can do anything that you want in those three blocks of 20 minutes. But just as a framework that you can contemplate, one of the things I love to do is just do 20 minutes of meditation on Headspace. It's a cool little app. Mm-hmm. You can use calm.com or go on YouTube and find, you know, there's thousands of meditations out there, but that's my first step. The second step, which is really great, which I absolutely love is the crazy hot bath with Epsom salts. And that just, oh, first of all, idea. it gives me the chance to lock the door and get 20 minutes to myself, but also because it forces me to relax. The heat is so strong that you can't actually like think about anything else but then step up and out once I'm done into a cool to cold shower until I stop sweating because decreased body Hmm. temperature triggers the release of melatonin, which helps you to fall asleep quickly and deeply. And then the third piece of the puzzle for me, at least is reading fiction, not industry reports. Uh, So when you're reading fiction, it activates the storyteller sent region of the brain and helps your brain to get into a dream like state which you can then use to, which then triggers you falling asleep quickly and deeply. So between those three things, meditation to calm down, hot bath to relax physically. So the meditation for mental, the hot bath for physical, and then drop into um, fiction until I feel drowsy. Then I just turn off the light and fall asleep. And that works really, really well. When I deviate from that, it's hit or miss as to whether or not I get a good night's sleep. But when I follow that protocol, it just crushes. Um, But you can build your own protocol. It's just defend. It's the defend your last hour protocol, defend three times twenty minutes, hour. and just build it yourself. Test it, figure out what works, and then practice it, and you'll get better and better and better at it. It takes a long time, so don't worry if it doesn't work right away. And so, is a key part of that also being um, conscious of the type of light you're exposing yourself to, like screens and all of that, in that last hour. Yes, absolutely. So I learned from Dr. Richard Horner at the University of Toronto Department of Physiology all about how the body responds to blue light. And while blue light can be fantastic first thing in the morning to wake you up, it is less fantastic for us later in the evening. And so all of our devices, computers, tablets, phones, 
um, sh you know, pump out blue lights. So one of the things we can all do is use the displays, sorry, settings, displays, night shift function on iOS and Android has a similar function. I forget what the name of it is, um, by the, but I'm sure one of your listeners can chime in on the comments and let us know on, on that <laughs> one. But um, so settings, displays, night shift, and I turn that on from 6 p.m. That okay. way, all the blue light gets removed from my devices in the afternoon. The other evening thing we did, interesting thing we did in my home was we installed dimmer switches everywhere. So once it gets to about six or seven o'clock, even in the summer, we dim the lights in the house to replicate the sun going down. Uh -huh. And we're basically creating a real and digital sunset inside the home. So we decrease the light, just like sitting around a campfire and mm -hmm. help us to relax and get the the triggers from our environment that it's time to go to sleep. We've become dissociated from the light dark cycles of the sun because we have access to so much electricity and we have access to these screens, right. which we shove right in front of our faces 24 seven. And so that's another key thing that I think we can do to really make a difference for us as well. Okay. I love that. I'm going to try that with my, <laughs> with my kids. I'm going to start dimming the light. And then last night they, uh, they played hide and seek in the dark last night, um, which they had a ton of fun doing. It got them off their screen. So I'm going to try just dimming the lights tonight. See how that goes cool. an hour in right advance. On. I love that. Um, so we're going to go to break in, I think in about uh, one minute and we'll dive into nutrition and exercise. And, and definitely how we think um, when we come back. Um, but before we do, I think we've got about one minute. Is there a time where we should have our last meal? I know what we eat matters and we can talk about nutrition and the effect on mental health. But as far as sleeping, is there timing of our eating that affects our sleep? There is. I think what, you know, intermittent fasting is something that a lot of people have been discussing lately. We should jump into that right after the break. But at a very high level, we can just think about the things that don't make it easy for us to sleep well. And the first one is anything that's really high protein. So you think about a big, huge steak, when you go to bed, you're going to have a, you know, you're going to be up all night because you can literally feel yourself trying to digest that mm -hmm. uh, big hunk of meat that's in your stomach. So high protein meals tend to be very difficult to digest. Um, although if you're an athlete, high protein right before you go to sleep is actually good because it stimulates protein synthesis, which helps your muscles to grow. But if you're not trying to win bodybuilding world championships, then it may not be such a great idea. But if you are, then that's definitely something for you to do. Um, and the other thing is very um, spicy foods. So okay. high protein, high spicy foods, just make it difficult for your body to digest and to, and to cope with that. But intermittent fasting is uh, a strategy that we use that I think can make a huge difference for people. So perhaps we can yes. jump into that right after the break. I, uh, absolutely. And so no uh, spicy chili before bed. We'll just exactly. keep that um, note and we'll come right back with Dr. Greg Wells. Stay tuned. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Would you like a complimentary strategy session with Leading on Purpose host, Nicole Bendeley? Nicole and her team have been making it possible for leaders to achieve exceptional results with ease for over 40 years. Nicole will help you to discover what's getting in your team's way from even better results and will share with you the simple practices that will make a big difference to your performance and theirs. Visit kand.co slash strategy 
and book your session with Nicole today. That's K-A-N-D dot C-O slash strategy. Leading a team today can be hard, but it doesn't have to be a struggle. With Kenco's self-paced e-course, leading high-performance teams, you'll gain everything you need to build the cohesion, communication, and engagement needed for your team to thrive. Right now, save 30% off the e-course. Plus, Nicole, host of Leading on Purpose, is including two coaching sessions with her at no extra charge. Use promo code VA30 when you visit kand.co slash ecourse. That's promo code VA30. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Find out more about Nicole and her company, K&Co, and check out her suite of leadership tools and resources at kand.co. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. All right. Welcome back. So we're going to dive into nutrition. And um, I'm curious, how does, Greg, nutrition really affect our mental state and, and our physical state? But I'm really curious about how it affects our our brains and our, our mental state. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. There's an entirely new field called nutritional psychiatry that's emerging that I'm oh, learning that. a great deal about these days from um, amazing people and uh, all these incredible researchers that are discovering the links between food and the brain and the links between nutrition and depression, the links between nutrition mm. and uh, anxiety. And I'll, I'm a physiologist, so very clearly state that I, I work with the physiology of the human body and psychologists obviously work with the mind and the brain. Although I become very interested in neurophysiology more recently, especially in writing the Rest for Focus Recharge book. Uh, but I think that there's a very clear relationship. We're now understanding that, for example, obesity uh, increases one's predisposition for depression and depression increases mm. one's predisposition for obesity. So they're related in a bi-directional manner. We also know that um, the rainbow of vegetables have positive effects upon the biochemistry of the brain. We know that omega-3 fatty acids are used to create myelin, which wraps around the branches of the neurons in the brain, just like bark on the branch of a tree and protects them from damage. In addition to being anti-inflammatory, we know vitamins A, C, and E have antioxidant effects upon the body and brain, which are critical for us. So basically, I mean, it's nothing that anyone doesn't already know. It's eat a real diet of a food that you recognize as being real foods. Basically it doesn't come out of a box. So minimal processed right. foods, you want to be staying away from high sugar foods, high trans fat foods, junk foods, um, you know, fast foods. We, we know what we're supposed to be eating. So we eat as organic as you can afford, eat as many plants as you possibly can be very careful about, um, what animals were fed. If you eat meat, uh, you know, the, the food that the animal was fed determines whether or not it's healthy. So that's why we do grass fed or organic wherever possible. That's why we do um, wild sustainable fish, not farmed fish, because you can't trust what the fish was fed. And, you know, many cases it damages the ecosystem. Um, if fact, you know, factory farming fish is just not really going to work. So um, from an ecological perspective anyway, and from a health perspective also. So yeah, there's a, there's a tremendous uh, link between those two. 
things that the foods that we eat and the brain. And one of the really interesting things that we've discovered back to the, what we were talking about right before the break is a strategy called intermittent fasting, right. which appears to be powerful for increasing BDNF brain derived neurotrophic factor, which stimulates the growth of new neurons inside the brain. Hmm. And basically what intermittent fasting is, is trying to eat within an eight hour window. It's really time restricted eating. Uh, and so if you eat within an eight hour window, that gives your body a chance to recover, to regenerate, to do something called autophagy, which is to repair and regenerate and to clear out all of the dead cells within, within our bodies. So yeah, it's a, it's a powerful tool that you can use to improve your mental health. And so it's worth spending some time, effort, and energy getting your nutrition dialed in and working a little bit better wherever you possibly can. Yeah, I, I have to say that I've 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 practiced intermittent fasting intermittently <laughs> for the past yeah. few years. And whenever I do, and as long as I'm conscious of what I'm eating during those eight hours, wow, the impact to my focus, because usually around two, I'm I'm, I'm starting to, to get tired. I'm starting to, you know, but when I started practicing intermittent fasting, my afternoon fatigue and brain fog completely went away. And so I tried not to eat for, you know, I think it was anywhere between 14 and 16 hours after my last meal, the the, the night before, right? And then would be would eat for those eight hours during the day until my last meal. But I, I noticed though, if I did slip on what I was eating during those eight hours, right? It's not like, oh, for eight hours, I can eat chip no. and candy and you know, whatever I want during those eight hours. Right? Yeah, it's like, you know, um, I've got a, a picture that I, that I show during presentations quite often of uh, a, a, a rack in a, a store, which is just all chips and chocolate bars. I'm like, well, that's vegan, right? Like that's just because right? it's vegan doesn't mean that it's healthy, <laughs> right? Exactly. right? And um, just because you're on intermittent fasting doesn't mean that you can eat anything you want within those eight hours. Yeah. You know, if you compress the same number of calories into eight hours instead of 16, you're still going to end up with, you know, percent body fat issues. So we are simply seeking to constantly be looking for tweaks to, increase the number of nutrients that we take in while optimizing the number of calories. Every chance you get mm -hmm. to slightly decrease your caloric intake, or I should say, optimize your caloric intake for you and your activity level, that's the game. But then we also want to be increasing the number of nutrients we're taking in. So that's things like eating the rainbow of vegetables and fruits, making sure that the meats that you're consuming were grass-fed, so their omega-3 fatty acid profiles are optimized. Um, th those sorts of things and just getting away from empty calories like chips and, you know, chocolate bars and all that sort of, yeah. all that sort of stuff, orange juice and pop and those sorts of, you know, chocolate milk, the disasters of nutrition that we just need to get away from. Right. Absolutely. So there's eating and sleeping, right? Key moving, right? How much should we be moving every day? Uh, so the answer is really just more and more. Yeah. the re research continuously comes out and everyone, and, and it shows it, it really doesn't matter what you do. There's research that came out from McMaster university that even one minute a day of exercise has positive benefits. So literally anything counts and we're in an environment where 85% of the population doesn't get enough physical activity to prevent a chronic disease. It's not even to be healthy. That's not to get sick. And so literally anything counts. You can go for a walk, you can do some yoga, you can swing a kettlebell, you can play with your kids, you can go for a ski, yes. like paddleboard. It does not matter what we are doing. We just simply want to be doing a little bit more. It appears, however, that 45 minutes 
of exercise is optimal for improving your mental health. And if you were to do that three to five times a week, that's the best duration and volume of training that you would need to do in order to reduce your risk for depression and anxiety. So if you struggle with mental health, three times, three to five times a week, 45 minutes, and it can be anything that will um, reduce your risk for depression and anxiety. If we're talking about overall academic performance, we know that increasing the amount of physical activity that you do during the day improves your academic performance up to a maximum of one hour beyond which there's no further benefits. Oh, interesting. Yeah. In adding an hour a day to your physical activity, if you're a student will increase in studies of, I think it was 5,000 kids in the UK for every 15 minutes of physical activity that was added to the school day. GPAs went up a quarter grade point up to a maximum of one hour beyond which there was no further benefits. If anyone was interested in that, check out the book Spark by Dr. John Rady, R-A-T-A-Y. Um, and then in terms of your physical health, it appears that anything really is beneficial. So one hour, uh, sorry, one minute is better than sitting. Uh, actually, we go down like stand, sitting is better than lying down. Standing is better than sitting. Walking is better than standing. Jogging is mm. better than, you know, all the way up to running. Yeah. So just more is better. And we would just seek to, in a perfect world, be getting somewhere around you know, an hour a day, six days a week. And I think that mm-hmm. that would be awesome. And that can be gardening, that can be housework, that can be going yeah. for a walk, that can be lifting weights, that can be doing yoga, going for a bike ride, going for a swim, it doesn't matter. But moving your body for about an hour a day, I think. Uh, and does that have to be difference. an hour at once? Or can it be broken up throughout the day? Is it a total of an hour? Yeah. Or total of an hour? Total of an hour. And I used to think that it needed to be all together. And I used to think that you needed to be hitting certain heart rate zones. I've thrown all that out. Yeah, it's just way too complicated. And this yeah, burdens people simple. if you're trying to if you're trying to make, win the Olympics, then obviously sure. you need to be in a certain target heart rate zone. Or if you're training for a marathon, yes, hit your target heart rate zones. But if you're simply looking to be healthy, all we're doing is just to move. All we're looking to do is just simply to move more. Yeah. And sprinkling physical activity into your day is, I believe, one of the best strategies that you can do. In our research at SickKids, um, we've sort of examined all of the studies that were done on all of the different diseases for kids at the hospital. And while the training programs that were implemented while the children were in hospital universally resulted in children getting better across a variety of strength training, endurance training, stretching, and across a number of different diseases, the exercise intervention studies were great. The problem is that the kids very rarely continued exercising after the study was over. And what we've discovered is that physical activity, basically the number of steps that you take during the course of the day, like just how generally physically active you are walking to and from school, standing up, like just moving in general, that is more predictive of health outcomes than the actual exercise um, training, structured training programs Mm. themselves. So now we're just into, you know, close your rings. If you've got a, right. an Apple watch, if I you're know, on right? Fitbit, just count your steps, <laughs> like whatever that. it happens to be. Do, like, we just want you to be moving more. And that's really just the game is just move more. And it doesn't matter what you do. Just be physically active, be happy and do what you love best. You know, th- all those sorts of sorts of wonderful things is build a life that you love and do the stuff that you love to do more often. And don't worry about it. But the more you do, the better you're going to be. Very powerful words and really great advice. Um, As we close, you know, um, you mentioned on break um, about practicing process and focusing on process and not just the outcome, right? So can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Absolutely. And this is a great way for us to sort of wrap up (laughs) as we sort of pull this all together when people are thinking, okay, so how do I actually do this? And my goal for 2021 is to think about the practice and just simply working on my craft and not worrying so much about outcomes or not being so focused on the numbers and where I want to be in August, but simply thinking about what am I going to do today? What, how am I going to run my life so I can spend more time doing the things that I love to do with the people that I love the most to have the greatest experience I possibly can on a daily basis? So I'm going to be working on my craft, be working on my process, be working on my food, on my exercise, my, my attention, my energy, all those sorts of things, but just on a single day-by-day basis, obviously with intention set towards the things that matter to me the most. So at a high level, I know in general where I want to be going. Um, but I'm really just going to focus on the practice and the mm-hmm. process and how do you make progress on a daily basis? How do you install systems that make it easy for you to be successful? How do you make success inevitable by controlling the food that's in your house, for example, or you know, setting up a um, a chat group with your friends that every time you do a workout, you ping and ping everybody and encourage them to go out and do a workout as well. So um, for me, it's just all about process versus outcome. And when we're really focused on what we want to be doing on a daily basis, I think that ensures that most days we're moving forwards towards our goals and dreams. Uh, And that's really the game that I want to try to be playing in, uh, in 2021 is, is working on the practice, working on the craft, working on the process and being a lot less focused on outcomes. Thank you, Greg. Thank you so much. And you know, it's so timely. That really aligns well with, um, I want to share something that Marty Parker, who you know, CEO of Waterstone, Human Capital, and my new boss, um, shared with us, um, the leadership team and everybody at Waterstone last week, he asked us to think about over the holidays, you know, to identify one thing, one thing that if we focused on next year and did brilliantly and practiced really well would make a big difference to our lives. You know, one practice that would make a big difference to our professional life and one to our personal life, whether it's family or personal well-being. And those are two are often tied, right? Highly tied. They're not two separate lives, work and personal. It's one life. So what's one thing that if we were to do or you were to do um, would make the biggest difference. And so I'd love to leave that with our listeners. And if there's one thing you could take away from, you know, Greg's insight today and experience that you can apply going forward, you know, please give it a go um, because it will make a huge, huge difference to your everyday experience and ultimately the outcomes that you achieve. So Greg, my deepest thanks. I thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you. I so appreciate your time and wisdom and um, to everybody else, have a fantastic week and thanks for tuning in till next time. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in again for another edition of Leading on Purpose with your host, Nicole Bendeley on the Voice America Empowerment Channel next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a wonderful week.